Blog Good evening. Good evening. This is Marcel Reed. Welcome to TS Radio Network, founded by Marty Oakley. This evening's program, Black Farmers, hosted by Lawrence Lucas, the President Emeritus of the USDA Minority Coalition, will feature presidential candidate Dr. Cornell West on the plight of the black farmer. I would like Lawrence to introduce you to the panelists um, who spoke to them, and I'd like you to introduce yourself now, Lawrence. Uh, we're going to have uh, a very interesting show tonight. Um, we're going to have uh, Dr. Cornell West to speak to you. We had scheduled another uh, session that would have included um, black farmers and, and the struggle of black farmers. We decided to put that off, and I'll explain that more uh, later on, but we're going to put that off for our show coming up on the 26th. But tonight we have an interview that we did back in September with Dr. Cornell West on September the 6th. And this interview was done mainly because he had decided that he wanted to address this issue of black farmers and what has been going on with the racism and discrimination that they have uh, faced for decades. Here, this gentleman running for president have decided to take on this issue as part of his platform. And when you go to his website, you can go to his platform, and it is listed as one of the agenda items. Dr. West is a graduate of Hawk University and magna cum laude. And he did it in three years. Uh, we've been hearing a lot about him and what he's been doing, but he's going to tell you tonight more about what he's doing and why he's doing it. And without further ado, I'm going to uh, begin to share with our listeners tonight a an exclusive interview that I did with Dr. West on September the 6th, 2003. And I'm going to get us started right now. Hey, Johnson, and I want to thank uh, the good Dr. Cornell West that we have with us again. And uh, Dr. West, I can't say uh, enough about your desire to focus on this issue and not leave black farmers in the lurch when it comes to justice, accountability, and uh, transparency at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Uh, I'm, and looking at your background and all, uh, you are an uh, American philosopher and political and civil rights activist. You've written many books about the struggle of black people in this country. And uh, you are a celebrated scholar and intellectual that have been able to speak to the powers that be about the, the constant imbalance and justice for black people in this country. And I want to thank you so very much. And I want to thank uh, Gary Johnson for being the producer of this interview. So I want to thank you, Dr. West, again for coming on. And I would like to uh, offer some very interesting uh, and reading about your background and listening to uh, uh, Bryce Stuckey sent us a copy of what went on down in Jackson uh, last month. And, and I was left uh, still very impressed. And I want to also say thank you for allowing uh, – Farmer Stovall from Alabama to say a few words at your rollout. Uh, I'm also very grateful that you 
have taken the time and the interest in this issue of black farmers. And one of the things that struck me was, and I thought, why are you running for president knowing the difficulty of winning? And why now and not before have you taken on, or you begin to take on this daunting task? Can you share this uh, with us, please? Well, I first want to begin by saluting you, my brother. You've been a long-distance runner in this struggle with a level of style and sophistication that is an inspiration to each and every one of us. I know Brother Gary Johnson would say the same thing. My dear brother Robert Gerard, and people of respect, he would say the same thing. And then, of course, with your magnificent wife and her, her artistry. I mean, we got a dynamic duel with you all. That's one of the great moments in American history, but we won't get into that, all of that right now. <laughs> Definitely coming out of Chocolate City of Washington. Well, I know you got a jump start in life, but that's another that's another rich footnote. We won't we won't proceed on. <laughs> Definitely. But but the thing is, my brother, is that um, I never thought that I would end up running for president because my calling has always been just a fallible quest for truth and justice. I was shaped by Irene D. West, Clifton West, my mother and my father. I was shaped by Shiloh Baptist Church, Reverend Billy P. Cook, who grew up in Brookhaven. One of the reasons why I went to Mississippi was not just because of Delta and the blues, not just because black folk catching hell, not just because black folk are so beautiful and have a nobility and they fight against vicious forms of white supremacy, but my pastor who baptized me grew up in Brookhaven right down the road. And so I could feel his spirit, and I needed to feel his spirit as I proceed with this endeavor. You know what I mean? It is a spiritual and a moral thing as well as political uh, when you think about campaign. But when I look at the mediocrity of the figures running for president, I said to myself, the tradition that I'm a part of, just a small moment in this great tradition of the great black people, our voices need to be heard. And the anthem of black folk is lift every voice. I lift every echo. I ain't going to be no echo expressing the, 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 the opinions of a silo. No, no, no. Voice, just like this brother. John Coltrane, he had a voice. He wasn't an echo. And to, to allow the voice to be heard at the highest level. And when you think about truth now, condition of truth is to allow suffering to speak. So as we were talking before in terms of black farmers, for me it's the question of family as well as morality and spirituality. My great-grandfather, the great James West, who I met when I was seven years old, he was a black farmer in rural Louisiana. And he had a nobility and a spiritual royalty that I will never forget when he hugged me, took me all around with his fields and say, the very idea of somebody stealing his land makes me come out swinging like Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali simultaneously because he had a dignity about it. And when I see black farmers, I see my, grand, my great-grandfather and so many of the other black folk who have been wrestling with this land grab, with this land dispossession. You know, that great migration went hand in hand with a land dispossession. We were leaving, the white folk coming in and taking the land. That land has produced wealth, and it has rich memories, very much so. So then for me, the quest for truth and justice has always been the same. I could be in the classroom, I could be on the street, I could be in jail, I could be running for president, I could be running for dog catcher, I could be singing at the Apollo. It's all the same thing. Truth, justice, touching people's soul, trying to encourage and empower them, and me trying to be true to all the love and courage and integrity that my family and church and friends have poured into my soul. Wow. That is powerful. That is powerful. I, I want to ask you another question that kind of leads us into this conversation about black farmers. Uh, you've supported in the past uh, Democrats before, and now you have the challenge of being separate and apart from this political system that we all know is not working for black people in this country. Uh, what 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 is it that will make you decide to say okay 
the difference between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party and you running on the Green Party. You've stepped out on this issue. What do you say to people that say that, well, voting for Dr. West is giving a vote to Trump? What is your answer to that? Mm, no, and I hear that all the time, my brother, absolutely. And my history is actually very jazz-like and improvisational, that I supported Green Party candidates, Ralph Nader, Jill Stein. I support Democrats with Bill Bradley, Bernie Sanders, and so forth. I tend to go back and forth because I tend to vote for the person rather than the party. And if the person has the integrity and the courage, then I'll vote for them. Uh, if the party is acting as if they say one thing and do something else, then I'll, I keep my distance from the party. So it's more a person than anything else. But I'm just thoroughly convinced that the Democratic Party has been hijacked by corporate interests. It's really Wall Street. It's really Pentagon. Anytime they want bipartisan activity for money for war or bailing out Wall Street or big subsidies to uh, uh, big corporations, like, for example, the strike that's about to take place now uh, and, and with, with the UAW, with the auto workers and the money that's coming in for the bosses in terms of subsidizing the car production. It's clear that the Democratic Party just has abandoned poor people has betrayed working people, and that, that goes against my calling. It goes against my calling. If they were speaking to black farmers the way in which they are, if they were speaking to working people the way in which they are, if they were dealing with police brutality like we were dealing with Mississippi, with Jenkins and Parker and the Precious family, Mary Jenkins and others, then I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have to run. I'm 70 years old. I could just kind of fade away, you know what I mean? Walk to the beach, read a little Du Bois, and listen to some Curtis Mayfield. Because <laughs> I've been at it for 50-some years. But no, they're moving so far toward big money and big military, and those flash stone called everyday people get left out. Those things that call ordinary people get left out. And black farmers are a crucial part of precious everyday people. Precious ordinary people who do extraordinary things. And so in that sense, I had to break loose and go for broke, because I told Brother Robert Gerard, I said, i got to go for broke in terms of my voice being heard. And keep in mind, you see, very much like a jazz jam session, that my voice is just one voice among others. My voice, Larry Lucas' voice. Larry Lucas' voice, Gary Johnson's voice. It's collective. And that's been the history of our people, that when we raise our voices, there is no Duke Ellington without his band. There's no Luther Vandross without Lisa Fisher singing background. And she might not be the star, but just, just let Luther get out there all by himself in the studio without his background singing. It's a different record. We've always been collective in our call and response and our antiphonal character of our culture. Let a preacher try to preach and nobody say amen or look amen. He can be, be up there cold as ice. And so it is in our movement. We all come with our traditions. So when people look at me, I want them to see Irene and Clifton. I want them to see Martin King and Fannie Lou Hamer. I want them to see Metcalf Edwards and Sam Cooke. All of that tradition is in me because I don't exist without all of that love and all of that courage and creativity in me. Now, if you look closely, you're going to see some gangsta and thug, too, but that's another issue because I got a lot of gangsta and thug in me, but I'm working it out. Somebody's praying for you know. <laughs> the Holy Ghost holds the reins, you know. <laughs> I got Richard Pryor in me, too. Mom's Mabel in me, too. I'm unapologetic. That's my tradition, but I'm trying to do the best that I can because there's a whole lot of goodness and greatness in what has gone into us. Thank you very much for that response. Um, thinking about uh, the president and thinking about some of the things that uh, Michael Stovall mentioned to you, one of the things that black farmers want, they want, uh, they want transparency. They want uh, accountability. And one of the problems we've had with accountability 
not only has it not come from uh, the politicians in Washington, but we've also been disappointed by the black leadership that has turned its back on this issue. If you talk to many uh, people in the country, they will tell you that there is no problem with black farmers because we settled that with Pickford 1 and we settled that with Pickford 2. What do you want? And what farmers want and what people don't understand is that with those settlements, did not come with the settlements that will satisfy and put black farmers back in business and give them the same benefits and the same privileges and programs that white farmers are getting on a, on a yearly basis. And with all this money going into Washington and, and, and from Washington passing legislation and then go on and benefit white farmers, black farmers are still being left behind. What black farmers would like to know, and I thought no Stovall would say, how far would you go? And we talk about a, pro a proclamation or, or some kind of uh, something that could come from you to demand that this administration and this president do more for black farmers because this administration has failed black farmers, as in the case of many other administrations. But when we go back to the the Clinton administration, they did a good job. Mike Espy and Dan Glickman did a good job. Bill Clinton did a good job. The other thing he did, he met with farmers. And I would like to ask you a question. Like, okay, if President Clinton met with farmers, how would, what do you see that you can do to demand from Biden to do the same? What is your comfort level uh, with approaching the president to the level that uh, uh, that we did and was able to experience with the sensitivity and concern for black people and America that Clinton had. Mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate that question. Appreciate all your questions, old brother. Let me first begin with Brother Michael Stewart. It was just a blessing to see him in Mississippi, and he spoke with Alec. Eloquence. He spoke. He spoke with power in terms of letting state, the people, the community, and the country know about the plight and predicament of black, of black farmers. Uh, um, but for me, you see, it's really a question of priority. You see, if I were president, I would declare a state of emergency when it comes to the plight of black farmers, and therefore it would be a high priority, and we would meet not once but regularly to make sure there was not just transparency, there's execution. Things are in motion, on the ground, follow through. Washington, of course, specializes in saying one thing and doing something else, or saying one thing and denying it, or saying one thing, and as you know, my dear brother Lucas, uh, they could have a wonderful deal with money connected with it, but when you look at who actually receives the money, there's a lot of enemy. There's a lot of people intervening in between who grab that money. Sometimes it's corruption. Sometimes it's actually legal but still immoral. So it's not against the law. It's just wrong. It's not against the law, but it's immoral. And as you say, you know, sometimes there's black folk who are part of this. You know, you can hire some black administrators and some black technocrats in the Department of Agriculture, and they refuse to follow through, even though they're black brothers or sisters. Where's the accountability? Where's the transparency? Where's the follow through? But if you had a president and a leader who made it a priority to ensure that the follow through was there, then they're not going to get away with that. No, 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 they're not going to get away with that. But I think you raised a larger question, really, and, and for me it's a very painful, painful question. I thought about this when my dear brother uh, Al Sharpton gave the eulogy for Tyree in Tennessee a few months ago. When he talked about Mullins King Jr. up on the mountaintop, that last great speech that he gave in Memphis. And, he, and, and Brother Al said, I'm going to tell you what Martin saw. I said, wow, tell us what Martin saw on that mountaintop. What did he see? And Brother Al said, Martin 
mountaintop. He said, we're going to get there. And he saw Kamala Harris and Barack Obama. I said, Al, now you got to quit lying. That's not what Martin saw. Come on, brother. You know darn well that's not what Martin saw. He said, well, what did he see? Well, I don't know what he saw, but he didn't see that. But I can tell you this. My hunch is the Martin that I know, if he got on that mountaintop and he looked, he saw a number of different pharaohs, not just one. And some of those pharaohs were brown, some of them were black, a lot of them were white. Pharaohs come in a lot of different colors. Why? Because Martin always kept his eye on the plight of everyday people. He kept his eye on the black farmers. He kept his eye on the black people in prison. He kept his eye on the black folk in the hood. He kept his eye on the black folk catching hell. And he's concerned about their dignity in relation to the pharaohs of the day. And, yes, it's true that the white supremacy, the American apartheid, the American terrorism, Jim and Jane Crow, was thoroughly white supremacists. But that doesn't mean that as we move forward, there may not be some black folk who are complicit with an unjust status quo that get in the way of the flowering of everyday black people. So when I look at black farmers, when I look at the bills that have been passed, and I see money that they, that, 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 that they designate, but the black farmers don't get the money, something is getting in the way. There's a hemorrhage taking place. And we have to be transparent about that. We want accountability about that. And we can have our critiques of other black people without trashing black people. But we have to be honest. And there are some black pharaohs out there. Just like there's a whole lot of white pharaohs out there. Because human beings are human beings when it comes to issues of domination and exploitation. Thank you. Um, one of the questions, and I'm going to go back to, and you stated that the one thing you need in place are people that care. Yeah. People that are willing to accept not to go along to get along. That's uh, right. Individuals uh, put people in place that will resolve the problem and not be a part of the problem. Mm. Michael Stovall has been very consistent in, in one of the things they are demanding. We have, over the, since the Clinton administration, we've, uh, they have gotten cases of black farmers that are sitting in the bowels of USDA, unprocessed, unresolved, um, and we know that we have thousands of cases. And what Stovall is asking and what the independent black farmers and many farmers around this country are saying, we want justice. We don't want a process that's being put in place by the present administration under Tom Vilsap where they're going to give you maybe a half million dollars. And many of the black farmers who are suffering, their debt is well beyond a half million dollars. And then if you talk to uh, the powers to be in Washington about this present rollout that they're doing and pretending that they're doing something for black farmers, what they're doing, they're saying that very few black farmers are going to get this money. But, but let me say this. Mm -hmm. Yes, putting together a program, Dr. West, that has no accountability. It, uh, one of the main problems is that there is no appeal process. Now, where is it that we're going to trust USDA to come up with a process that you don't have an appeal process? In order to determine whether a person's losses, you need an ag economist. There's no appeal process, and there's no ag economist to justify the reasons why we're giving away of government money. So that goes to the accountability. And what, what the farmers are always saying is that they're willing to give you a piece of the pie, but they're not willing to pay off your debt. They're not paying, willing to pay off the taxes. 
and they're not uh, willing to pay what they call offsets. And offsets is your taxes. If you owe them something, they'll come and get your tax money. If you owe them something, they, they, they will make sure that they punish you. So what we want is a more just system by which farmers will get their cases fairly adjudicated, and depending on someone like you coming in and doing something about changing. But it so happens, suppose you don't go as far as being a candidate. What the farmers want to know also is if, you, if you're not the presidential candidate, what are you willing to say and do to make sure that the justice that should be had for black farmers is not left behind? What would you do? Yeah, I mean, one is that because the commitment to changing the plight of black farmers is a moral and a spiritual one, is not confined just to a campaign. It, it really is an issue that, you, that, that, that has to be uh, promoted no matter what the circumstances and conditions are. So any help, influence, authority I can use and wield in order to make more visible, to, more, to make more efficacious the struggle of black farmers, I want to be a part of that. And that's very important. So it goes beyond just uh, elections. We're really, we're really talking about uh, what I was, what I started this dialogue with. We're talking about a tradition of a people who, in the face of overwhelming catastrophe, still preserve their sense of dignity. I saw that in Brother Michael Stovall right there again. When he stood up with his hat, he always got his brim on. And he's looking sharp in his brim. Oh, I'm telling you, like like Teddy like Pendergrass, if you follow with his brim on. Now, that's, that's a certain dignity and a certain style, right? And he's been through hell and high water. In the face of catastrophe, he stood there with dignity and spoke. And he touched people's hearts. Well, you see, that's this larger tradition that I'm talking about goes far beyond politics. So I would always want to be a part of that. And I always want to do all that I could to use whatever authority I can to make it highly, highly visible and make it highly, highly effective. So in that sense, it really is a moral and a spiritual commitment, much, much deeper than just a political one tied to an election. That is, thank you very much. Um, many of the, we've been uh, involved with this situation so long, uh, Dr. West, that sometimes our, our thought and our direction becomes a bit jaded. Mm. Um, I, I would like for you to specifically address the issue of uh, the lack of support that's coming from our black leaders from Washington. Because we don't have a Thurgood Marshall. We don't have a intellectual think tank saying to us that this is wrong, here's the research that proves it, and we want something done. We don't have the, the NACP and uh, many of the uh, civil rights organizations that we had in the early days with persons like Thurgood Marshall and many others who made the ultimate sacrifice to get us where we are today. I would like to, for you to respond to the, the, what you see, uh, what is lacking in our leadership, thinking back about the many marches that you've been in and participated in, uh, seeing the changes that Thurgood Marshall uh, made because of his commitment to black people, what is missing in our culture today that keeps us from having to not be able to say we have a Thurgood Marshall and we have a think tank that's interested in the and in, in making things better for black people, that seems to be absent today. What is your answer to that? Yeah, see, that's a profound question. We could have a seminar for a couple of days on that query, no problem, because there was a major shift that took place in the 1960s and 70s. When you, when you think about a Thurgood Marshall, he goes down to Mississippi at the request of people. 
Theodore Roosevelt Mason Howard, who was both the richest black man and one of the major black freedom fighters in Mississippi, that his students would be Fannie Lou Hamer on the one hand and Medgar Evers on the other. That when Mamie Teal went down to see her boy, he stayed at his house, Howard's house. Howard was the one that spoke November 27, 1955, at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. Martin Luther King Jr. just took it over, and he talked about Emmett Teal and Rosa Parks on the front row. And four days later, Rosa Parks going to sit down on a bus in order to stand up for justice with Emmett Teal on his mind. Well, what is it about Martin? What was it about Howard? What was it about Thurgood Marshall? What was it? They came out of movements. They were not politicians. They came out of black context of struggle. They were not professionals who had been shaped by the culture of professionalism. The problem of the culture of professionalism is it never puts a weight on courage. If you want to go up in the profession, you've got to conform. The whole protocol of professionalism is to teach you how to engage in upward mobility so you can be at the top, and the ones who end up at the top are rarely the most courageous. They already have been weeded out. It would be like a jazz, a jazz coach and everybody obsessed with Kenny G and Coltrane can't gang access, access to it. Hey, Kenny G selling zillions and zillions and zillions of records. He's making millions and millions of dollars. Coltrane ain't making that much money. He don't give a goddamn. He takes care of his family, and he's expressing his soul, and he wants to be true to Charlie Parker. That's who sets the standard. You see what I mean? So that somebody like Thurgood Marshall, who, who set the standards for him? Charles Hamilton Houston. Who set the standards for Martin Luther King Jr.? Well, there's a whole lot of them, but they were freedom fighters. They were not professional. So when we got to shift from leaders coming out of our churches and coming out of our communities and coming out of our civic associations, including black farmers organizations, and they got to shift to the politicians who primarily come out of professions and, 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 and schools. Highly educated. We're not against education. Not at all. But you can get miseducated in a lot of these places. I can tell you that right now. Oh, we got some brilliant black folk who are thoroughly miseducated. And we got some brilliant black folk who are scared, intimidated, afraid, and will sell out in a minute because they don't have their souls intact. They don't have their spirit intact. And so what has happened is those stronger voices, those real genuine, you know, what Ashford and Simpson would call the real thing, ain't nothing like the real thing. And that real thing has to do with what? Care, Brother Lucas. Do you really care for the people? I'm a Christian. Malcolm X is all in me. He's a Muslim. I got theological differences with that brother, but I know he was for real. He cared for the people. So I can learn from him. I can be inspired from him. When I see most of too many of these leaders now, I say, y'all on the bravery train. You're not on the love train. You're on the status train. You're not on the justice train. You're impressed with trying to move up the ladder rather than keep the faith and keep track of the least of these. That's a great black tradition. That's where Frederick Douglass comes from. That's where Ida B. Wells comes from. That's where Sojourner Truth comes from. That's where A. Philip Randolph comes from. See what I mean? They all could have been sophisticated professionals with big money, but they decided to go another way. And I'm not arguing poverty, because we all know I'm always broke the Ten Commandments financially, and I don't want to be a model for nobody like that. People need to have some cash flow. I appreciate that. I think people are being to live decently and so forth. But I'm against idolatry. I'm against when you view this money and status and spectacle as your end-all and be-all. And as I told the folk in Mississippi, too many of our leaders are peacocks walking around, look at me, look at me, I'm the first ex. I'm the second Y, and I can hear Fannie Lou Hamer's grandmama saying peacock strut because they can't fly. 
that we are people of eagles. We fly with nobility. We look low to make sure we keep track of Latisha and Jamal and Ray Ray and Babe Ruff and all the folk in our families and in our networks. And so many of mass incarcerated, so many of them in the hood with decrepit education and so forth. And yet people are obsessed with the well-to-do ones at the top. Hey, they wouldn't even be up there if it wasn't for their great-grandmamas and great-grandfathers who sacrificed blood, sweat, and tears to make sure they even had access to the schools that facilitated their movement. And it's a beautiful thing. That's why I supported Barack Obama critically. I celebrated he's the first black man up there. That's success. But I'm not impressed solely with success. I want to see moral greatness. I want to see spiritual greatness. What are you doing with your success? That's the measure of greatness, and we come from a great people. Nobody cares about the most successful Negro in Alabama in 1955. They remember Rosa Parks. Nobody cares about the most successful person in New York in 1965. They remember assassination of Malcolm X. How come? That's where the love is. That's where the care is. That's where the service to others is. That's where the sacrifice is. Young folks talk to me all the time these days. Brother West, Brother West, we show like your brand. I said, I ain't got no mother-hucking brand. What you talking about? Black people were branded when they came here with their slave, getting off that slave ship. I got a cause. A cause is something you live and die for. A brand is a market strategy that allows you to move upward. If all black folk were concerned about was just brands and never had a cause, we'd still be in slavery. We, we, ne- we never would have made it out. But you got to fight. You got to fight. You got to fight from your heart and your soul. That's the key. Curtis Mayfield didn't have no brand. We're a winner. Radios wouldn't play it. He don't give a goddamn. Coltrane goes to Malcolm X's election. Don't go, Coltrane. It's going to make your, uh, 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 your audience smaller because Malcolm X only has 4% rating for approval. He don't give a goddamn. He's sitting on the front row with his arm. He wants to hear what Malcolm got to say. He's not going to imitate Malcolm. He's trying to take it all in because he got a cause. He got a calling. He got a vocation. He got a mission. He got a purpose in life. Now, I learned that in vacation Bible school. The Shiloh Baptist Church. Reverend Willie P. Cook, we ain't got the Reverend Herman White yet in Friendship Baptist in Harlem. Same tradition. Same tradition. Make sure you got your calling and your soul intact, whatever gifts that you cultivate. And our black farmers are an integral part because in the end, you go back 100, 120, 150 years, brother, 90% of black folks rural, Countryside, tied into farming, shared cropping. Tennessee, the vicious system of Jim Crow, Jane Crow, with its own economic subordination and exploitation of black folks. But what do we do? We use what we have to still aspire to greatness. And that's what we're losing. We're losing that. And that's why our leadership gets more and more spineless. It doesn't want to take a stand. It wants to check and see where the next job opportunity is and then move. Oh, we'll never make it like that. And if we lose the link and the chain of a great tradition of a great black people on our watch, shame on us. Wow. You know, Dr. West, you are talking, as I sit here listening to you, you're talking about what I hear is we have to have more people who are willing to act on what they believe to be true. That's exactly it. That's it. That's exactly it. Integrity. And keep it in mind, all of us are finite and fallen and fallible. That's why we got to listen to each other. Very much like a jazz musician, right? You ain't going to never find your voice if you're not listening to the other voices, if you're not learning from other voices. That's where the humility comes in. And the humility is always a sign of spiritual and moral maturity. But the humility goes hand in hand with fight, with tenacity, 
that's good for black people. And we're talking about bringing out people's humanity. Yes. That's what you're addressing. Yes. Why not? What do you think about the idea of interfacing with your former colleagues uh, that were uh, your friends and colleagues that ran for uh, for presidency, i.e. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, to say, look, Bernie, Elizabeth, let, let us go to the White House and do what is absent, and that is to speak to the President of the United States to identify and do something about this problem at the U.S. Department of Agriculture, even if it means removing the Secretary and putting someone else in. What do you think about that idea? Oh, I love that idea, though, brother. They be open to it. You know, of course, Brother Bernie and I, you know, we, we still brothers. We just have deep disagreement. I believe, in fact, that uh, that brotherhood is always deeper than politics, and so he'll always be my brother, even when I think he's wrong. Uh, I, I fight for people's right to be wrong because they, that doesn't exhaust their humanity. Same is true with Sister Elizabeth Warren, as you know, is my colleague at Harvard, and I was blessed to teach at Harvard Law for 20 years, which she taught for many, many, many years as well, even though I haven't talked to her in a good while. I'd be quite willing to. It, it might be very difficult in terms of the present situation because I'm not sure that my dear brother Biden would want me too close to the White House <laughs> at the moment. But if you were open to it, I'm open to it because for me, as you all, I hope, can see, it's a moral and spiritual issue. You see, the politics are just vehicles, vessels, and conduits. It is not politics in and of itself. Anybody who's trying to be a force for good, I want to be a part of it. I don't care what religion, I don't care what nation, I don't care what gender, sexual orientation, or whatever. You see, we 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 fighting for the empowerment of everyday people, not just here, but around the world. I'm an internationalist. I don't believe that an American life has more value than a life in Brazil. I don't believe that American life has more value than a life in, in Ethiopia. I believe a human life, a Christian. I believe each made in the image and likeness of God across nations. And therefore, it's a deeply human thing. But So I would be open to it, my brother. It's just a matter of whether we could pull something like that off in the middle of a campaign season. But I would do all that I could. I could be there physically. My name could be there if I'm not there physically. Uh, you and I in conversation, I could, you can convey to them that I'm concerned about this kind of thing mm-hmm. and, and want to work with them because it's bigger than any one of us. Just like truth, just like justice, it's bigger than any of us. It's about the suffering of large numbers of precious human beings made in the God. And that's what our black farmers are. Hmm. What would be another way? We have the technology for communicating, and and, and this Zoom call approach, not having to be uh, physically in Washington, not uh, being physically um, standing in front of the White House. But I was thinking, and, and my brain is moving at the same time, we could uh, maybe have a Zoom call. Oh, that nice. A Zoom call, and we have a conversation about this issue and perhaps have some of our black leaders, and maybe some black leaders that you know that will embrace this concern that we have for black farmers in this country. And and what my thinking is, is maybe we could put together a group of black leaders that have the intestinal fortitude to stand up for black people and not be totally a part of the system and afraid to speak up for black people for the concerns that it may embarrass a president. We have to get away from being concerned about embarrassing a president and save the lives, the livelihood, the way of life, and generational wealth for black farmers. So I would like to know, what is your thinking on this idea of we may be working together to put together a group of leaders 
true leaders that truly care about this issue and have a Zoom call and have that conversation and move forward from there? What is your thinking on that? Oh, I love that idea, my brother. I would be there in a second. But as you know, anytime you call, I come right. We, 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 we got that kind of relationship, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like Brother Robert Gerard, he tell me to jump off the cliff, I'm jumping. I don't care about the law of gravity. I know he can work something out for me, so I'm jumping off the cliff. And so it is with you. In terms of you, you call, I'm there. So we have a Zoom absolutely. I mean, the challenge, as you know, would be right in the middle of a campaign season. Who would be willing? Because they, many, of course, are deeply concerned about the uh, the president, and they have a right. They have the right to be concerned, and therefore, they wouldn't want to say anything to make you look bad or embarrass him, and so forth. And you say, "Well, good God Almighty, if your policy is a failure when it comes to black farmers, then that's what I believe." then it's going to be hard to look good. But you can respond and do something good. Yes, absolutely, because it's the black farmers we're concerned about. But I would be on that Zoom in a minute if you called my brother. Now, somebody else called, I'd have to pray on it and have a little cognac and things and see <laughs> and see what the Lord wants me to do, you know. But no, but I'm serious about that, though, brother. Anytime you call, brother, I'll be there, I, I want to thank you for that. Um, let me share with you uh, about the politics that's going on. Recent survey mm-hmm. of CNN said that the approval rating of uh, Trump is 37%. The disapproval rate of Trump uh, is somewhere in a similar range. But I'm a little concerned about the disapproval rate of Biden. And I think um, if he represents all the people, uh, that can change. Without black folks going to the polls in big numbers on Election Day, it's going to have an awesome impact on the result. Absolutely. The undecided vote, 8%. Disapproval uh, attitude and, and the disapproval rate of America is 59% with Biden. Don't you think that uh, it would be wise that knowing that black folks uh, are a pivotal piece of his winning a campaign, that he should uh, come to the table and discuss? and do what President Clinton did, was sit down with black farmers in the White House and say, how can we solve this problem and go about resolving that problem? I would like for you to be a part of that because you stepped out. There's no other president, person running for president, that has taken on this daunting task of the issue of black farmers. Well, I'm just beginning to, but there's so much more to do, and I would love to do all that I could. But as I said before, you know, anything that would enhance the situation of our precious black farmers, to me, is at the center of it, very much so. I wish that Brother Biden had done it at the very beginning of his his presidency. It should have been something that would be as natural as breathing, especially given the role that black people play, especially black sisters and pushing him across the line. You would think that we would be a major priority. That's what upset me about him. Remember, he went to voting rights. He wouldn't push away the filibuster and sit down with Manchin and, and tell Manchin to come to his senses, or he was going to use what he has against Manchin to make sure we had voting rights. And I'm saying, like, it's a key sweat moment. Something, something just ain't right. <laughs> what is going on? You can't even fight for the voting rights of the very people who put you in office. Are we an afterthought? Are we tertiary? Not even secondary? Ought to be primary slaves. Don't disrespect us like that. Well, no, I've got other issues. What other issues you got? Okay, you got billions of dollars in Ukraine. Okay, I can understand the argument. It might be plausible, but not persuasive. But still, I don't understand why you can't step out. Kamala, talk to him. Talk to him, Kamala. And, of course, Biden's already said America's not a racist. 
country. And I said, well, he nearly got to get off the crack pipe there. Then Kamala would come along and say, yeah, my boss is right. It's not race. And I say, I know you didn't learn that at Howard University. You're a brilliant sister now. Just learn the truth. Right back to Gary's point. Just tell the truth. We know how racist the country is. We've got some breakthroughs. we got some progress, but it's still racist. Then here come Clyburn. No, it's not racist. we still got some passes. But you see, this is the conformity that we're talking about. This is what people get tired of. People just say anything to be conformist to power. It ain't got nothing to do with truth. And that's the kind of consistency that we want. So it might be a, you know, a moment where he actually can turn toward some serious truth and say, yeah, it's true that our black farmers have been treated in an atrocious way, past and present. And we've got to do something about it. But in the end, I don't believe in revenge. I wasn't taught that by my mom and daddy in Shiloh. I don't think that a life of revenge is, is, is a spiritually fulfilling way of being in the world. So I don't have revenge against Biden. I want justice for black farmers and other folk who are catching hell. Justice is not the same as revenge. Just like I, I, I refuse to hate, even though I hate the fact that people hate, but I don't hate people to the best of my ability. That's what I was taught. That's how I'm going to die. That's what I learned in Shiloh. That's what Irene and Clifton taught me, not to hate people. I'm like Emma Till's mom. I don't have a minute to hate I will pursue justice for the rest of my life. She come out of the same tradition. I'm trying to catch up with Emmett Till's mama. She set that high standard of greatness, looking at her precious boy's head, three times the size of his ordinary head, and Robert Temple took the side of Christ on the west side of Chicago. What a standard she set. That's like Louis Armstrong's high seat in West End Blues. What a standard. Wenton Marcella still can't get the note. That's all right, Wenton. You great. You a genius. Louis is Louis. He set the standard. Emma Till's mama set the standard. That vicious attack on her only child, and she could hate anybody she wanted. She refused to do it. She pursued justice, and justice is what love looked like in public. She died a love warrior. That's what inspires the great black folks. That's what's inside of Martin King. That's what's inside of Donnie Hathaway. That's what's inside of Fifth Brothers of Love Supreme. Part of the greatness of black people. Teach the world about love in the face of being such a hated people. Teach the world about freedom in the face of care coming at you every day. Teach the world about wounded healing, given all the trauma that you got to come to terms with. Yes, just keep track of the best of us, and we'll teach you some grand lessons of what it is to be human. Oh, what a great people we come from, and we're losing that as we become more spineless, as we become more conformist, more complacent, more complicitous with a status quo that still won't treat our black farmers with dignity. And, we, and that includes our black brothers and sisters in mass incarceration, includes our black brothers and sisters in the hoods, and then it spills over to indigenous peoples, and barrios, and poor whites, and others all around the world. That's the great tradition that I think I'm trying, and you all enact in so many ways in your own distinctive way. And it's a beautiful way to be, because that's where the joy is, you know? That's where the joy is. Dr. West, I want to thank you so very much for taking on this issue, as well as taking up so much time, knowing that you have a campaign to run, and caring about this issue. But what you've also told us, that you are not in this battle uh, black farmers and dignity and respect for all people. That's right. Whoever they may be, they're American. Mm -hmm. and, and that is something that needs to be appreciated by you and what you're doing and why you're running for president. Uh, I would like to, before closing, is there, uh, uh, Gary, is there any burning question that you think that uh, we should uh, share with Dr. West before we close. Well, every system has a... Well, you've heard uh, Dr. Cornell West tonight. On the 26th of October, Thursday, you're going to hear uh, us talk about the, much of the pain and suffering that many and our, some of our losses... Harry Young, Eddie Slaughter, and the Wises. 
I thank you all for listening, and I look forward to having you uh, to join us and listen to our show coming up on the 26th, which will cover and expand from the discussion that you heard tonight. Thank you very much for listening, and good night. Good night.